This is Aider and a Better. My name is Avi Singh. I am here with Sajid Khan. Sajid, what up? Avi, what's up, man? Good to see you. Good to see you. On this episode of Aider and a Better, Sajid and I are just going to chop it up about what's been going on in our uh, public defender, non-public defender also lives during the shelter in place, how we've been practicing or not practicing uh, self-care, how we've just been making sense of a lot of the things that have been happening in our uh, courts and with people who are subject to this court system and and also just what we've been listening to, watching, reading, and what practices we've been engaged in in order to try to stay uh, centered. I hope everybody out there is uh, as uh, centered as can be. Uh, And I know that's not the case, um, but especially for our PD community and our defense community, uh, we just wanted to share some of our perspectives right now uh, during this time and maybe uh, have a little bit of levity uh, in terms of sharing our, our jams or our, our playlists. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's good to see you. You know, this is actually a pretty organic conversation because we haven't actually seen each other or talked to each other since our last podcast recording. I only speak to you now on the podcast. <laughs> I won't. It's a has the, to be recorded. The content requires... <laughs> it is kind of it has become that way because sometimes we do have um, conversations or when before the shelter in place we would have lunch and you'd say save it for the pod or don't tell me until we're recording and so a, we're, that's a two-way street that's a yeah it's true <laughs> save your takes for the podcast so so basically for the past like five weeks or so i think we recorded on march 19th we're at april 22nd right now so mm-hmm. it's been about four or five weeks i've been just accruing all this stuff I've been wanting to share with you. So I'm glad to see you and, and catch up. I think we've shared with our listeners before that, I mean, the genesis of this podcast is the fact that you and I would have lunch maybe once every couple weeks, or you'd call me on your drive home from, from work and we'd catch up. And so we, we thought that it would be cool to uh, capture those conversations on a podcast and share them with the world. And then because we're not, going to work anymore, at least for the most part, I'm not, we're not seeing each other in court or uh, around the office. We're not able to have those lunchtime sessions. So it is kind of the pod for us to, to catch up. And now we get to share it with everybody else. It's been wild. It's been so wild. This whole thing has been wild for everybody. You've been going to court more yeah. than I have. I've only been to court once since the shelter in place orders uh, went into place. You've been to court at least a f- few times, right? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I do an arraignment court uh, a couple times a month. I still have prelims. I have. I haven't had one yet, but I've got some on the on the schedule. I've got various uh, release hearings that kind of come up, like basically once or twice in between those other court appearances. So I'm I'm going to court. It's it's pretty. It's so bizarre. It's the most bizarre thing I was like, doing. Tell me about it. Like, like I actually like, don't know. It's, what it, I, well, I went the one time and it was uh, it was a very brief court appearance. There was no one in the courthouse uh, except for lawyers and the judges and court staff. And the, there's only a handful of courtrooms open in the whole building. And in the, in the courtroom itself, it, there's no the public isn't permitted inside anymore. So there's an empty gallery, just lawyers. Then there's the people we represent who are the only ones that are present are the ones that are in custody. And so they're coming in. And so it's like this very barren, sterile 
courtroom, a bunch of the lawyers were in masks. I wasn't in a mask, but we were, I was socially distant from everybody else in the courtroom. I could speak to my client, but from a distance, it was just so, so the whole dynamic was different, but you're doing like calendars where there's arraignments and multiple yeah. people being handled at once. So what, what's the experience been like for you? I like put on my mask. I have a big thing of wipes that I have in my, in my bag that like sticks out. I have, uh, you know, tons of gloves and sanitizer and so I'll like and I bring my laptop I show up to the courthouse it's empty suit separates, suit separates still? um I uh, will use um I have these like trousers that I can throw in the washing machine so uh-huh. I use those um oh, nice. that's, that's pretty smart I think calling them suit separates is extremely generous to <laughs> what they are <laughs> it's like it's like it is look it just is what it, it is what it is um I will wear suits um, but I, I'm like, I'm like looking barely, for like, barely, they're barely suits. Yeah. This is, this is like, so I show up, um, they like determine whether I'm, I'm allowed to be in the building. So I like show them my badge and then like, sometimes I'll have to like take my mask off, which kind of defeats the purpose to show them, you know, my face so I can get in and then I get in the court's totally empty. It's just weird. It's just quiet. And then there will be, um, I walked in yesterday and there was this giant, you know, flat screen, which the, the microphone and a can you know, kind of cameras on it. And there were video arraignments happening while there's also people being brought in for arraignment and there's people. What's the difference? Why, why I, are some on video versus some in person? You know, I actually don't know. Um, I, I think that, um, there could be some transportation issues, um, okay. But I, I don't know that that's that's why. But it, it just reduces the number of people in the courtroom. But it's just it's just so weird. It's you know it's like all of this is challenging in terms of our advocacy. Like representing a client with a mask while you're wearing a mask, and the client's wearing a mask is very challenging for our advocacy uh, because we're meeting these people as strangers. You know, um, and you can't shake their hands. You can't shake their hands. And you can't and, do the things that we would traditionally do, which is sit close to them, shake their hand, look them in the eye, hand them a business card. Yeah, people and people are pretty understanding. Like yeah, I haven't right. heard of of that part, but the distance and the ability to form a quick bond that is allowing for a trusting, productive relationship. Which you, you know, a lot of what we have to do is we we haven't been even they didn't select us, right? They don't know who we are. They well, you know. call it you called it the trust deficit. We yeah. are coming in at a severe trust deficit where. For the reasons that you just described, and so oh, we yeah. we have to utilize these tools to overcome that trust deficit. Um, and it, it's sometimes it's the things we say, but oftentimes it's more about the things we do with our body language and our tone and tenor and things like that. Yeah, I mean, talking to a person and, and being able to explain, you know, what's happening and why we're here and what we're going to be doing can really bridge or you know kind of fill in that deficit or make up for it. And it has been aggravated. Yeah, these folks are in in a dangerous circumstance. They're all, uh, they're not, you know, kind of, they're all fearful of what's going to happen to them in terms of their physical health and infectious disease. They're being held in circumstances that do not, you know, they're not being uh, removed, you know, physically, you know, at six feet from each other. Uh, They have been provided masks. I was in court where they weren't getting masks. And, you know, there were people asking for masks. And it's just very difficult to see 
all of that happened. Now they do have masks when I'm in there, which is, is really good in terms of an improvement. But you're standing far away. You have no privacy. You're trying to figure information out that is important to whether the person has a place to go to. It's just very complicated. And, you know, you already have disadvantages because we don't have the police reports. So we're like, we're, we're pulling up the police reports and trying to read through them and get as much information as we can. But it's just weird. It's The yeah. whole thing is, is totally bizarre. Um, there's like people then will like show up on the video screen and then it's like who's who's talking right now is the video on it's just it's the strangest thing you need to call a family member and you're in the basement so you have to like use the deputy's phone and so then you're like wiping down the phone with the clorox and you're like making well even that part of it too is the you know the public access being limited or completely barred uh from the courtrooms for something like an arraignment because Part of the the assessment that a court should make is is family ties, community ties, and oftentimes we do have family members in the courtroom that we can literally point to or stand next to and say, "Your Honor, just for the court's information, you know, my the person I rep- representing his mother and father or brother and sister or community partners or friends are here in the courthouse, and they are representing to me that." this person has a place to stay, that they will ensure their appearance at future court appearances, et cetera. And that that's just evaporated. Um, so has that been, has that affected your advocacy? I think that if a, when our clients' communities show up for them, it improves our advocacy, it improves our case outcomes, and it improves our clients' ability to navigate the system. Because like isolation is the, is the driver of a lot of injustice and when our clients are isolated and hopeless right that's when things occur that are really really challenging and i don't just mean plea bargains i mean saying what does it matter uh you know i'll do a trial anyway who cares right you know whatever whatever that decision making from a kind of sense of hopelessness that can be really challenging And, and our clients get so much of their hope just from coming into a courtroom and looking out and seeing a person we yeah. see it all the time. You know, you it can be difficult, you know, to kind of get somebody's attention and have like business talk when their family members are there because they haven't seen their family member in so long. And and I I get it in terms of the restrictions, but there has to, there has to be some middle ground. You know, whether it's videoing in or or uh, you know phone line in. Um, I think that's what I was know. seeing that that debug here, Silicon Valley debug who is a participatory defense partner for many of our attorneys and for many of our people we represent is advocating and connecting with the courts to try to get that call in line, at least to set up so that community partners and family members can have a voice um, as they rightfully should. Yeah. And everybody, everybody, you know, it's, you know, it's even if you're a a witness in a case or even if you're a victim in the case, you know, these closed courts, it's a, it's like a drastic measure. It's like a, you know, kind of like a nuclear option in terms of uh, public access and in terms of the defendant's rights to have be kind of tried in a public courtroom and public setting. Right. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, kind of oversight, you know, and community input in our kind of democ- democratic values come from open courts. So, if we're going to do something so significant in terms of a kind of democratic value, then what else do we need to do on the standpoint of like getting people out of jail from the standpoint of like taking drastic measures, right? If that's the crisis that we're in, that we're going to roll back 
significant values, you know, what else do we do? Like we have to meet it with all that urgency. Um, right. Right. A couple of thoughts came to mind too, as you were talking earlier in terms of the vulnerability of the people we represent. I mean, they are already generally a vulnerable population. We're talking about indigent people, people that uh, have suffered significant trauma. They're, they are often, they've been arrested. They've been charged with crimes. They obviously cannot afford to hire their own representation. So they're being assigned to us. And so they're already a vulnerable people. And then you combine that with the ultra vulnerability of being in jail at this moment in time, like the, like you were mentioning earlier, just the very real possibility that their being in jail on any given day could result in them contracting this lethal virus. The fact that they are powerless to really do anything about it mm-hmm. uh, except for to rely on us to try to be uh, their voice box. I can't even really wrap my head around what it, what it's like to be on the inside right now. I, I, I had a hard time doing it as it was, but I, I, it's even harder now. Oh yeah. If you were in a grocery store and somebody walked up behind you at the register and coughed, how, you know, what would you experience? What would you be going through? Like, what would you be It would thinking? be like almost like a violent act. And now, if you were in a in held in a in confinement, and you had no control over whether that person was there, and that person didn't have a control over whether they were there, right? You know, uh, and I'll say it, I'll say it because people, you know, it just comes up enough. Oh well, they then you know you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. You you shouldn't you know have committed the offense if you don't want to be exposed to de- to a kind of potentially deadly illness. Um, and you and I don't buy that. But the thing that I, I think is important is the question isn't about what individuals do with respect to the penal code. It's what we do kind of as a society in response and the kind of morality and justice of our actions. And so holding a bunch of people under conditions where a contagious disease could break and hurt them and you know hurt them badly and harm their families and harm our community like that's the approach that I, I think about is what's right um, yeah. right now. And it, it's, it, you know, so that's, you know, I, I'm, it, this isn't a complicated question for me. None of these, you know, this is a very complicated problem with weird unforeseeable solutions and how it's going to spread is unforeseeable and all that. But like if, if social distancing is a significant thing that for us to do, so, and if none of us would walk into one of these facilities we shouldn't have jails set up in a way that none of us would ever walk into, like to go into them. Right. Uh, and if we're unwilling to kind of go into them, unless we're like forced to, right? Like we, there, there's a real question about the conditions of confinement. Yeah, and there's always a question, but yeah. like it's, uh, it's especially, it's especially dangerous right now. So like I don't, I just, I have no, I, I have little patience for the, well then you know don't do the crime, don't do the time, and also these folks are are held on a pretrial basis and many of their procedural rights that would, you know, we would associate with due process are not in place right now. And well, that's so, what I was just going to, I was yeah. going to um, ask you about that. I mean, and also just mentioned to um, our listeners about this state of affairs that we're in where jury trials are suspended. Um, the only people that are being afforded to have preliminary hearings are those that are able to set them essentially from arraignment because anything that was not previously set before the shelter in place rules went into place 
um, those folks don't generally have access to the courts in order to get a preliminary hearing, which is a probable cause hearing uh, set so that a judge can adjudicate whether or not there's enough evidence for this person to be charged at all. They don't have the ability to get in front of a jury right now to have their uh, the truth of their charges uh, and the ultimate um, yeah, the ultimate decision on their charges litigated. And the other thing that I have come to understand is that motions courts are closed right now. Aside, right now, aside from now, we've been able to get courts open through advocacy like yours and other people in our respective offices to get bail hearings uh, for people. But in terms of litigating a suppression motion where someone perhaps has been illegally searched or seized or they are being held on evidence that we believe was procured unconstitutionally, that person can't get into court to have that motion heard. Or if they're sitting in custody on a charge that we believe um, there wasn't enough evidence for at a preliminary hearing, so we have a 995 motion to bring, we can't bring that motion. And so that person is just sitting, uh, despite what may be very meritorious motions that are ready to be filed and heard by us. And uh, and they obviously don't get their, their jury trial right. And there's no real end in sight as to when we might see a jury trial happen in any of our respective courthouses. Yeah. I mean, school's closed, right? Like we're questioning whether the kids are going to be going back to school in the fall. Right. right? So like, how would we take that same kind of framing? Um, yeah. I, and the people who are being held for the folks who have bail orders, the reason they're being held is they don't have money. Um, so all of that is then like, you know, the money bail system is layered on top of all of this. And, yeah. you know, we've created a circumstance where if you can't seek, uh, you know, so if you're in a place and, you know, we're speaking to our experiences here, it seems very kind of similar to what's happening throughout the state of California. And then there's other places where these actions, there's kind of a, a progression, like in each place of how a court system cannot operate during a pandemic and a, court, a jury trial system can't operate even further during a pandemic. Um, none of it, no, nothing makes any sense. Right. We know things can't operate the current way they do, but you know, this, you know, that idea, uh, X number, you know, 10 men go free so that one innocent, you know, 10 guilty go free. So one innocent is not convicted. Mm-hmm. That was never, the case that was never true you know in terms of how our system actually operates with plea bargaining and everything else but um but like that safeguard that a trial can play is gone for now and so the safeguard and also the the what we were discussing previously um off the air was even the threat of that trial um is not really um in terms of how it can be utilized by us to effectuate uh, optimum outcomes for the people we represent is yeah, not really in play either. Yeah, there's um, plea bargaining in the shadow of a trial. There's no right, yeah, there's no right. shadow of a trial. Yeah. Right. What's also interesting, this whole thing is kind of it's it's kind of a kind of a mindfuck in some ways, in the sense that usually we think of ourselves, public defenders, and and rightfully so, as the people that are going to go to bat for the underrepresented people, the forgotten people in our courthouses, the indigent. Uh, But in some ways, it's such a peculiar and unique situation that the people we represent have to be protected from us too, you know, because of this, the nature of this virus. So like you would, 
think that your our logical our our intuition our wiring tells us let us in let us do our work let us be next to our people let us see them let us stand next to them because that's what we do let's help us try to not not like have the savior complex but help us try to help them but then in this weird you know this the the unique way that this pandemic is affecting us all in some ways the client the people we represent have to be protected from us mm-hmm. you know like yes. it's it's just like damn like it's it's just hard to wrap your head around it's hard to wrap my head around the practice is obviously different right like our a lot of our focus is figuring out ways to get access to justice and also to get people out of jail and also to litigate conditions of confinement or to advocate on improvement of conditions of confinement and so the practice is different i've like feel really buoyed i would say and like like inspired by the work of pds all over the country right now and people in the kind of movement that's criminal justice criminal reform movement just to see people kind of call answer the bell you know like and it's in all kinds of ways it's like in a public facing side it's in working in encampments you know to help people who are our clients who are you know maybe have warrants or and making sure that they don't get picked up and booked it's you know kind of impact litigation all over the state and the country and you know as you know, we're working things, we're learning about how, kind of how we communicate. And it's been really, so it's been like this really fucked up thing to see like what happens when the system just stops the procedural protections, but continues the caging. Um, so that's been really, you know, but then like, that's also can be like a call to action and among the many, many calls to action, right? right in terms of how we, tell our client stories in different ways outside of a pleading, right? And then how we organize. Because um, it's, it's you know, we don't have those, like that's not like traditionally our skill set, you know, yeah. it's in the kind of organizing or uh, movement building or even impact, even for PDs, right? Like litigating kind of on larger causes. We, we, we have our, our, the people we represent and we fight for them no matter what. Uh, but to like, be taking this up is just such a it's just been a trip but it's also been really for me like it, i feel really good about i feel like we're and it can be really stressful you know to like leave it all out on the field or whatever but it's but it's it's been cool to see everyone kind of doing a part in this in this yeah. movement right right and what one thing that comes to mind on that is something as basic as is like our office for example uh, setting up all these um, institutions or these these systems for us to just communicate with our people on the inside, like okay, you know, forward your calls from your desk phone to your cell phone. Here's uh, when you write your the people that are on the inside. Here's how they can directly access you at home. Um, we are now setting up. Uh, you can you can send through the jail a message to your person to have them call you, uh, which we didn't have available to us before. Now they're setting up video uh, conferencing for us to be able to communicate with our people from the inside. And those are big undertakings. Like it's not something that's easy to facilitate, but it's just really inspiring to me that our office and other offices, I'm sure, are are doing that um, and that attorneys are wanting to do it. Like it would be 
it would be kind of easy for many people in this pandemic to just forget about the people on the inside and and not really think of their well-being. But public defenders are actively concerned about the people on the inside and are trying to facilitate any way possible for them and their families to stay in touch with us and for us to just even do that basic part of the job. You know, the but the, such a significant part of the job is is maintaining the humanity of the people on the inside like that is just really inspiring to me is that people are dealing with their own personal issues at home but they they are still doing what they can to honor the people that we've you know um, signed up to serve and represent and as on something as simple as picking up their being able to get the call on their Mm -hmm. cell phone so they can speak to their person who's sitting in the jail, you know, while we're at home. It's just, I don't know, it's, I'm really proud of that. Uh, No, and everything's, I mean, and just life's harder, you know, like all the other stuff for, you know, in our personal situations, and we're we're now running, you know, kind of homeschools, and all the other, all the other stuff that's occurring, right, kind of at the same time, and there's, you know, concerns about everybody's safety, and, you know, even, you know, when you're doing the arraignments, it's, it from, you know, some people are, you know, uh, unflappable i'm you know stressed out you know just in terms of like okay have i cleaned everything up you know just like the right. sort of stuff that that's kind of in the background around you that makes the makes the work uh challenging or kind of it, it turns everything up so yeah absolutely and yeah. you know if if uh i've put out the call before but if folks have um any perspectives they want to share about uh how they're kind of processing the work or what they're experiencing uh, out in the courts or uh, what uh, challenges, anything that they wanted to uh, say, you can uh, email us uh, voice memo at aider and a better at gmail.com. And we will gladly put together those perspectives. Cause we're, I think so, like our, our, our shared experiences are significant right now. I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. lighthearted, perhaps not, um, the things that you and I have been uh, doing to to stay afloat, to mm-hmm. uh, take care of ourselves, to find some joy uh, amidst this crisis and all the, the challenges that you just described in terms of the work that we're confronted with and then all the other uh, challenges that we're confronted with at home. I mean, you described running homeschools. You have three girls. I have two boys. I, I was telling somebody else that 
I have now the responsibility of being the homeroom teacher for my sons and being their best friends and being their dad, um, like all at once. Um, and just having to, to manage all that plus the work that we're tasked with doing. And plus the seen and unseen emotional toll that this whole pandemic is taking on us as individuals. Uh, you know, we may think we're immune to um, the emotional toll of all of this, but it's a scary time. Like, you know, there's just so much uncertainty. We have parents that might be um, vulnerable people to what's going on, having to manage them. There's, you know, we may have loved ones that are, um, you know, frontline responders that we're thinking about there. And then just the natural human, uh, the tax that take, that this whole thing takes on us as human beings, let alone as public defenders, that everyone is suffering through. And then the just complete loss of control, the loss of any semblance of normalcy, rhythm in our existences. So, um that's a lot to wade through. So what do you, uh, Avi, on that note, like uh, what are you turning to in this moment of, of crisis to kind of find some levity or find some joy? Um, I don't know what order you want to take it in. But um, we we, we well, outline like what yeah. we're listening to, what we're watching, what we're reading or some self-care tactics. Well, yeah, why don't we do content first and then self-care second? Okay, um, yeah, let's do it. So... And maybe we can just speak to what stands out to us the most on the listening, watching, reading. Like if you listening is most, you do that one first. So okay. I, 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 I feel good um, about reading. Um, nice. And it's something I've been, it's just been, I'll just, I don't know if this is too much information for folks, but um, it's not, it's not. Um, but uh, my oldest kid is, uh, is a kindergartner and, you know, we're kind of looking at, you know, level one reading books and level two reading books and, you know, trying to encourage uh, reading in the home. But, um, you know, she, she has a really uh, kind of, she's interested in kind of superhero type stuff. Um, so I saw one of the kids in the like app, like showed like, oh, I'm reading this, you know, Barbie book. It's a level, you know, whatever Barbie book. And I said, oh, okay, well, Clara, you know, likes, uh, she likes X-Men. So let me start to see if I can find like an X-Men you know, level one book. And I, I found a couple and it's like, this is the Wolverine, you know, the Wolverine is a hero, but sometimes he works alone. Uh, you know, that's like the, yeah, level one. It's like three word sentences. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I'm looking at that and then we're, we're in the, like the app to, you know, find like different, like the Kindle app and we're looking for different stuff. And then we see like this comic book and we're like, Hmm, Hmm. what if we just uh, take a look at that? And we wound up reading like all of these X-Men comic books. Like, and it was just like, it was just so, it was like for like two weeks, uh, we were just like getting really into all the different characters. At bedtime, she would just be so pumped about, okay, well like, all right, I can't wait to hear what happens next. Like I have some good ideas about what's going to happen. And I'm like really into it because it's kind of like a kind of superhero plus there's kind of some soaps uh feel to it um did you did you read comics as a kid oh yeah yeah my brother uh and i both uh were kind of really into comic books so that's been like like so how do you like it's it's a passion that i had when i was a kid that i I definitely have not been forcing but like maybe nudging and it's like kind of taken hold so it's always uh, easier when your kids take to stuff we like right it's just like so much more integrated and seamless so definitely when they when they uh, 
follow the nudge it's pretty awesome yeah yeah so that was that's been you know it's been really just fun um just hearing her talk through the different stories and come up with her own uh stories and she like knows way more about it than i do now so i'll be like oh you know and what did um so you know is that is that cable and she'll say no that's forge and it's just like she you know because the kids like know like they know like dinosaur names or they know like Uh, you know they just know more like of who's what in the story than we do now um so it's been uh it's been really fun that's 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 the thing that stands out for me in that list what about you Reading wise, I, you know, I obviously saw a bunch of people saying this is the time to catch up on reading. And I don't know, admittedly, and honestly, I'm not a, I haven't been a big reader. I have, I love buying books. I love going to bookstores and buying books. I love clicking through Amazon and buying books. Um, And so I have a lot of unread books in my house and in my room. Um, one thing I did do was get them organized. Like they were just scattered all over my room. And so I actually put them like in a bookshelf. Um, so that looks nice. Whether I've actually, I haven't read most of them. Uh, I have a lot of, um, books that I've read maybe like an eighth of the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book that I'm, uh, been most, um, interested by is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Um, so I've been, that, that has kept my attention, but even, even then, I, it's not something that I've, I just don't, I don't know, I've lost patience for reading. Um, and so I'm hoping to see that book through. It's really funny and it's really poignant um, and touch it. It's about his childhood in South Africa. Um, so I'm enjoying that and I'm hoping to see that through. So that's what I've been reading. Um, but, um, oh, the other thing that's been really cool, you mentioned comics, is that I've been following all these Instagram accounts of Calvin and Hobbes. And I don't know about you, but I loved Calvin Hobbes growing up. I loved the comic book strip in the newspaper. And then my brothers would have the books of Calvin Hobbes, the collections. And Calvin is such a sage. And um, I've just been taking a lot of wisdom and comfort and solace from from Calvin um, on these little Instagram and Twitter posts of, of people that uh, share Calvin Hobbes like strips. And so um, I've been finding a lot of... Uh, comfort in uh calvin um did you you ever follow calvin and Hobbes? no i was more of a family circus guy <laughs> so um that's what i've been reading um i've been doing a lot more watching of stuff mm-hmm. um and so uh, definitely been going down the um kind of the netflix queue mental queue um so i started with um I started with who killed Malcolm X. Um, it's been like week six of the pandemic now. And so I started with that. It was a, it's a documentary of um, essentially investigating, reinvestigating the assassination of Malcolm X. And I thought it was just incredible. Uh, there was so much um, content of Malcolm X's speeches that I hadn't seen or heard before. And he was already a hero of mine and he just, kind of cemented himself as a hero of mine through that. And it also, I didn't know much about the, his killing or his, uh, the investigation into his assassination. And um, it turns out that there are arguably very strong innocence claims for two of the three people that were convicted of his murder. Um, And so it's actually kind of crossed over into our work 
because one of the individuals is still alive and is is being represented or advocated uh, for by the Innocence Project now, um, trying to exonerate him for what they believe or what he believes to be a false conviction. So it's a really interesting documentary that I recommend, um, and I really, um, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done. We watched Schitt's Creek, <laughs> like all of it, really quickly. Uh-huh. And I, um, so uh, it was. it's definitely like uh, the type of show where it's really funny, but the sh- episodes aren't so tied together that you have to pay too much attention. And that, like, I favor something that I could fall asleep to watching, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and not really worry about it. Yeah. I have to go retrace my steps. That's like a value that I'm placing. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm putting sure. high value there right now. Um, like, I couldn't watch a lot of the shows that I, like, I couldn't, I couldn't watch, like, actually, I loved it. But right now, um, I, I couldn't watch The Watchmen, which is like my favorite show on mm. of like the year because it just like I was like paying too much attention and I need to like read yeah, it content too after much brain power, right? um where like and really I just need to like watch something good and kind of like hopeful and so there's this other show that I'm really into it's the 1992 X-Men uh, cartoon <laughs> I swear we're not just going to turn this podcast into an X-Men <laughs> I can't. It'll just be a monologue by you because yeah, I really the, have very little X Men knowledge, except for my old um, X Men versus Street Fighter days. This that's is, what I, yeah, that's, yeah, I was uh, big into that game. Yeah. yeah let, uh, okay, I'll I'll get I'll yield, but just know that X Men has been in my mental space in like every <laughs> single possible way. Um, you know, thinking about it, not so. There's this thing that the show must go on. They're doing Broadway shows, um, mm. uh, and so we watched uh, Phantom. Uh, and it was really, really nice to watch and all this kind of content after about like, you know, the making of uh, yeah. the Phantom and the drama. Uh, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, we're not watching, we're not watching too much news or anything. It's just. Uh, oh, no news for me, man. Uh, you know, I, 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 the, the news, it just is not productive. It's actually very counterproductive to my mental health and well-being. There's just not much that I gain from it that, um, you know, I, me learning about, and this may sound selfish, but me learning about, you know, the crisis and how it's affecting people or how many deaths are happening across the country. Um, you know, I can't control those things. I can control doing what I can to comply with the social distancing orders and taking care of myself and taking care of my family um, and being a good citizen. And, and I kind of, you know, just uh, try to limit information coming in that I, that, that leave that will make me feel frustrated or helpless. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 pretty much there with you. I'll I'll, I'll check in or read stuff, but not. Um, yeah. I think a lot of it's uh, very much. Uh, uh, it's uh, stress. It's kind of stress inducing right now. So yeah. Um, One thing I was gonna say. So I, another another thing that I've been watch or that I watched was on my. It was a, my brother recommended to me. It was the uh, Dave Chappelle. Netflix special where he's receiving the Mark Twain prize for comedy. Um, and so Dave Chappelle was awarded this Mark Twain prize uh, for comedy in Washington, DC. Netflix recorded the special, uh, which included the um, award ceremony plus stand up and then just snippets of various parts of his career of uh, Chappelle show, stand up specials, interviewing family members. Um, I highly recommend it. It's really funny. It's really sweet. 
really powerful, lots of vulnerable moments. And I wanted to share um, something that actually came up in it that I, two things that I think are really uh, connected to what we do, uh, both as public defenders and what we were trying to do through the podcast. So um, Dave Chappelle said there was this quote that he heard from Miles Davis. He said, um, he said, this is what Dave Chappelle said. Miles Davis said so much cool shit, but one of the things he said I always loved, he said, it took me years to learn how to play like myself. So I'll say it again. It took me years to learn how to play like myself. And when I heard that quote, it just reminded me of what we do. You've been a PD for 10 plus years. I've been a PD for 12 years. You know, just finding our, our respective voices in this work, you know, like not trying to be somebody else not not me not trying to be you you not trying to be me and us being um who we are and trying to find our own voices when we go into a courtroom and do a jury trial or a closing argument or a bail motion or an arraignment uh pitch uh, or to get someone released um it really resonated with me to hear that uh that it's you know it's, it has taken me years too to learn how to be myself in the courtroom and i'm still learning how to do that um I don't know if that, you know, so that wasn't yeah. one. No, I think that's, I think that's a, an amazing PD. I, I find myself talking to people and talking to myself about how you have to pretend so much when you're doing this job. You know, you have to pretend that, you know, things are going according to plan. <laughs> you have to pretend right. that you, you understand what's happening, you know, with sometimes complicated situations. You have to um, kind of, put up a lot especially when you're starting you know when uh -huh. you're when you're getting started you know like when you pick your first jury you know, <laughs> okay. what, what is it you know where you literally like what do i do like do i right. stand up right now you it's like what it's do i very, say yeah yeah like you know when you get your first objection you know like when you ask to approach what's happening and so what i try to tell myself i don't know if i've told you this before i'm sure i've said this um over the years is you know to do as much as you can to be yourself in this practice. Like there's room for everybody in this work, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And if you're an, you know, if you're an asshole, be an asshole, you know, <laughs> but you know, if you're not, that's like totally good and okay and fine. Like you can, but just don't, but the worst outcome would be to kind of pretend to be an asshole for, um, you know, because that's what the, you know, role of, you know, the attorney is supposed to be or whatever, like whatever, you know, whatever is your, closest whatever you can hold on to and, and be yourself about or be authentic about is is the you know it's, it's going to keep you in the in this work um yeah I, and i and i i learned that i was in a i was a law student and there was this pd this federal pd and he was uh he was this awesome pd from baltimore and he was he had a hat and he had a jacket like like a like a trench coat like a duster and he was like he like really had like like the style, like the like the the command of the the space, and he had a style that was kind of, you know, confrontational, but also like, you know, he was like it was it just worked. It worked right. for this guy, and I watched him when I was a law student, and then I basically did an impression an impression of him during a court trial, like a mock court trial, and I just it was just the most uncomfortable bombing. Like everyone in the room was like, "What is going on right now? This is the weirdest <laughs> thing." But like people took me aside and like, yeah, I had to give it, have a talk with me, and that was like the best talk. That was like the one of the best 
kind of bombings or, you know, bombs that I had because um, it was just like, you don't need to, you know, pretend that you're this person when you're, you're in a pretty, you're just not. Um, and that's okay. And I felt, right. yeah, I felt right. good about it. It reminds me of you mentioning the first trial. I remember my first trial was a DUI trial and I, same thing. I was really freaked out about voir dire, how to pick a jury. So I started getting all these jury selection scripts from people and there's all these little, little, little ways to get asked questions and little um, little analogies to, mm -hmm. to use and little pieces of shtick. And so I tried to put that together and I, I tried uh, one piece of shtick that one of my colleagues had shared with me. And there were just like a litany of objections just got lodged. It's like, you know, <laughs> objection, objection, objection. Like, and like, I just got so flustered um, because I just, I, I, I didn't know I was trying to be someone, I was trying to be mm -hmm. this other person and it just wasn't me. Um, so it was, that was, it was, uh, you know, finding that authenticity, finding that confidence. And I also think for people of color, perhaps for women of color, you know, like there's even more layers of, to, of it where, you know, we're trying to act a certain way yeah. or we hope will be perceived a certain way. So then we, we kind of lose ourselves in these processes because of that, um, and so no, that absolutely. can be another challenge. One other thing that he said was he was talking about his childhood and he said, I knew the word griot, G-R-I-O, when I was a little boy. A griot was a person in Africa who was charged with keeping the stories of the village. Everyone would tell a griot of the stories and they would remember them all so that they could tell future generations. When they got old, they'd tell someone else uh, they tell them to someone else and they say in Africa, when a griot dies, it's like, like, like a library was burned down. Um, and so that's what Chappelle was saying that his mom would tell him about the griot, um, who was this storyteller who would capture the stories of the village. Mm. Um, and, and so I, I don't know, I'm proud of what we do here. I'm proud of the, the stories that you and I share together and that we, record them and preserve them and share them. And then we also bring on guests that tell their stories and we tell the stories of our people that we represent. And so that was pretty powerful to me to hear that from Chappelle, um, how he perceived his, his role in kind of telling the stories of his people and of, and of a moment. I'm so glad to, to be able to see the community of folks that were, that was existing before we started doing the stuff that's existing after uh, of collecting our clients and, the, and their people's and their community stories and putting them out there about how the system's not working or how it's, you know, working according to plan or whatever. Um, right. I think that the stuff that we talk about with being public, public defenders uh, is especially important now uh, in terms of what we're doing where, you know, a lot of our advocacy has to be outward facing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, those are a couple of things I've, I, I mean, I watched Tiger King, you and I, if, if and when you watch it, we could probably do like a rewatchables on Tiger King because it definitely relates to what we do. It's like, it's, uh, did you watch it? Uh, no, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. I seen it. It may, it's not going to take a lot of brain power from you to watch it. It'll, it'll be, it's something that you could latch, latch onto <laughs> and into um, and enjoy. Fine. Fine. Um, <laughs> And then I watched um, I watched Better Call Saul. So I, I binged Breaking Bad a couple years ago and then didn't get into Better Call Saul. But I 
watched it. Uh, is that something that you've seen? Oh, yeah. I, I think I have stuff to catch up on, but I've seen a good amount of it. The, so, you know, how we had we did the episode where we talked about all the terrible defense lawyers out there. Yeah. Like and how a lot of them shit on public defenders. Better Call Saul actually does a really good job of highlighting what we do. Like the first scene of Better Call Saul mm-hmm. is him doing yeah. um, a trial as a PD, essentially. And then youthful indiscretion. Right. And then um, he does other uh, PD conflict or like uh, essentially like a panel type work. Yeah. And then his his girlfriend or partner also does ends up doing PD works. Not I mean, spoiler alert, but it's not it's it's pretty incredible, actually. Like I'm really it, it made me happy that there was this show that's highly acclaimed, critically acclaimed, where there's like a positive representation of public defenders for once. Um, as opposed to being shat on like we often are. So um, better call Saul. And then I think I sent you the clip uh, where SNL did their um, SNL did their um, SNL from home episode. Yeah. And there's the uh, middle-aged mutant Ninja Turtles clip. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, That was, that was really good. (laughs) I watched that. I watched that clip maybe. It was a bit too real for it. It like it. It was like I could see myself in Raphael on the weight scale, and I could see myself having that phone call that whatever Donatello was having or Leonardo was the having test. with his doctor. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing I've been watching is a more recent show. It's called Black AF or Black as Fuck. It's on Netflix. It's uh, uh, Kenya Barris, um, who is the creator of uh, Blackish. Mm-hmm. And it's a mockumentary, uh, mockumentary slash mock reality show of his life. It's pretty funny. I enjoy it. I'll quite take a bit. that one out. Yeah. And it's definitely something you could fall asleep to. You don't have to like take drain notes. a lot. Of, yeah. yeah. No, no note taking. So I don't need any red string. I don't need yeah. to connect the dots. And the last thing, I said the last thing, one more thing that you and I both appreciate is WrestleMania was on for weeks. I think you and I would text and I would text you like, um, I guess they were promoting WrestleMania on ESPN. And so for four weeks in a row, in the first four weeks of the pandemic, they were running recent WrestleMania showings. And that was incredible. It was incredible. I was just like enthralled and I enjoyed it so much just sitting and being able to watch all the entrances and the music and the flair. It was, it made me really happy. And I would text you. Did you, you would, watch some of them? I didn't catch even one. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I would get a text from you enjoying WrestleMania. I'm like, Oh, it'd be so good to watch WrestleMania right now. It'd be so good. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, one day. I think if we we'll make plans to go to a WrestleMania, we can do a live podcast from WrestleMania for all the. Uh, there's like a subset of Ader and a better listeners who are WrestleMania, uh, <laughs> WrestleManiacs, and so um, uh, we can sure. you know do a do they're a show. To, they're coming to LA next year. Hopefully, social distancing will be over by then, and we can actually go there together. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, that's a, a good amount on on. On content, is there anything else on listen, you, uh, listening stuff? Listening stuff, um, The Weeknd's album came out during the pandemic. So I take these long walks. Well, kind of, you know, in terms of my self-care, I, I just put some headphones on when I can and just walk. Just walk as 
far as my legs will go and as long as I have the energy for it. And so I put some headphones on and so I've been listening. I listened to the Weekends album. I really enjoyed that. And then there was one of our um, South Asian brethren, um, Riz Riz Ahmed, who is from the Night Of, who we've talked about on this uh, podcast before. Apparently, he's like a British rapper that I didn't know about. And uh, so he put out put out an album, which is a very politically oriented album, where he's breaking up with England, mm. like the United Kingdom, like as a South Asian, like. Um, and so it's like the whole album is about him breaking up with the country that raised him and it's really powerful so he has some cool songs called deal with it and this poke this spoken word piece called where are you from um that i really appreciated i think you might appreciate so those are some of the things i've been listening to and then the usual bill simmons podcast mm-hmm. has been keeping me company he's been doing all these like redrafts of old nba drafts and so it's just an hour plus of me you know, having nostalgia over like who was picked third in 1997 mm-hmm. NBA draft, like yeah. who the Warriors missed on. Oh um, man, <laughs> there's a brutal history there. Yeah. Um, How about you? You've been listening to anything? Um, listening to just a lot of music in the house. Got music yeah. going. Um, That's good, man. Yeah. Music in the house is good. Yeah, we do. Um, so Elton John, Mona Lisa's, and Mad Hatters uh, are. Um, one of our kids is this is not a nudge this is like a full push but it took uh, is really into the song Peg by Steely Dan Um, so that's like that's great uh, in my opinion (laughs) so that was like a long-term plan you know like some people train their kids to be you know uh, uh, second baseman uh, on a you know on a, a minor league team and some people train their kids to like steely dance on I'll have to look I'll have to look that up on my Apple music yeah it's it's great it's great so you just you know just listen to music um nice I, yeah just feel music like music in uh, the house can make such a huge difference it, it can just add some opening some windows listening to some music is a uh, you is know yeah you know, with all the dishes and the laundry you just dance around the kitchen you know yep. uh, the kids the kids have a lot of energy, so if you know they're if they're a little bit stuck, you know, because they're just going out in the backyard or whatever, they can, you know, dance around, shake it out. So um, nice. that's really good. I got um, yeah, I got uh, some tap shoes. Um, oh yeah. But I haven't learned yet. I've been watching a couple videos. I'm not very good, but I keep having this nightmare that I I um I put them on, accidentally when I go to court. And I don't want anyone to know that I'm wearing them, so I have to walk really quietly. <laughs> That's the only downside of having the tap shoes is the vision that I'll uh, accidentally wear them to court, uh, and 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 then it'll be a terrible moment. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna get an eight or a better tap show one day. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm not very good, and it's scuffing up the floors. But um, all right, so we've covered a lot of content. Um, yep. Do you want to do? Um, two or three self-care practices that have been helpful for navigating this time uh, with respect to kind of yeah. in, in connection with the work or in, in disconnection from the work, you know, just self-care generally. Yeah. It's, it's all um, overlapping. So I don't. Yeah, it is all overlapping. I already mentioned the long walks. That's been really, really important for me just to enjoy our, we're lucky to have the fresh air and the weather that we have here in the Bay. 
So just being able to take advantage of the sunshine and get my feet moving and just get, uh, catch my breath um, has been really powerful. One thing that you you told me when we did our self care episode is you you like manual labor. Uh, you like like um, digging dirt and wheelbarrowing shit around and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's actually been very therapeutic for me to do like labor around the house, like vacuuming. I actually put like headphones on and listen to music as I'm vacuuming or doing laundry, um, cleaning, like I said earlier, like putting a bookshelf that I put together, getting rid of some old clothes. That's felt really cathartic and and helped me just kind of settle into the home space. Like when it, keeping it clean has been um, really helpful. In terms of the work, you know, like um, it's been really useful for me to give myself some grace, but also keep some structure. So, you know, I'm not having to wake up as early as I used to having to get the kids to school and having to run to court, especially when I'm in trial. So I'm not like waking up crazy early um, to get be at my my desk here at 830. So I'm, I'm giving myself that kind of freedom to kind of get started at my own pace. But then I'm also still getting up. I'm showering. I'm grooming. I'm um, putting on what I clothes that I, I'm not wearing suits, but I'm clothes that I would wear on a, on an office day, you know? Um, <laughs> so like a collared shirt and like some, some, some of our J crew pants that you and I are big fans of, you know, mm-hmm. like um, it just helps me kind of get into that. Just feel, feel good and get mm-hmm. into like a oh, certain yeah. mental space. Um, so that's helped a lot. Um, and then I've been working out every day. Like, um, a lot of my friends have been sending like these Instagram challenges to do push-ups and sit-ups and all kinds of like CrossFit crazy shit that I've never done before. And so just kind of challenging myself to do some of these things. So I haven't done this many push-ups since like high school football. Um, and it feels pretty good. So those are some of the things that I've been, I've been doing to just kind of, to take care of myself, um, and then also you mentioned like when we did the self-care pod years ago about framing, like it's just a really perspective framing is really important. And so just from a big picture perspective in terms of my kids and the family, I, I frame this very early on that this is going to be a memorable moment for all of us in some shape or form. Like this is just a unique time for all of us. And it's going to be definitely a memorable moment within our family unit between me and the boys and my mom and uh, other family members. And so I'm going to choose as best I can to try to make these memorable, these moments memorable and make them something we can look back and laugh about or think about fondly. And as opposed to moments that we, that, like scar me or scar the kids or traumatize all of us or the source of some sort of disconnect between us. And so that framing really helps just trying to like, you know, just try to make these moments light and enjoyable and memorable and fun. And for example, letting go of any uh, hope or expectation of schooling my Mm four-year-old Shakur, like, fuck it, that's not happening. I'm at least going to just enjoy having time with him in the backyard um, yeah. and sitting with him while he plays with his toys or watches cartoons. Like, and so that framing has really helped me just from a big picture um, way of ma- maintaining some, 
some uh, perspective of this whole thing. Yeah, I think that's I think that's something that I need to do more of now. I for me, there's just been a couple like I I don't think I think like my self care practices have been like good and then absent entirely. You know, so like well, like, you've been doing a lot of work, and you yeah. you've been you and I have been in different you know um, work positions too. So yeah. you can talk about that. If yeah, you, if no, fine. but it, it's just like trying to like keep it's it's all connected you know so like i don't think that i you know my objective is to not just abandon self-care practices entirely and just grind you know kind of zero out all of my energy and then you know kind of just be a non-functioning or you know not not in the position to function the way that i i need to be um so when i was doing good stuff it was i take the dog for a jog with the uh, our littlest kid which was you know just really fun like there's this little loop I can go on. Um, and I was doing it pretty consistently and feeling good about it and the, good about it. And then I had some, you know, project come up and then that stopped. And then the kid doesn't get to, you know, have that outdoor time and the dogs then restless and all that stuff. Um, but just being outside, um, walking very slowly jogging is the, the stuff that, uh, and then, uh, you know, getting, getting rest, um, which that's like, a point of emphasis going forward. Um, but I, I feel like, yeah, that framing, I, I don't know if I use this, this example, what you were talking about reminded me of, you know, being up with the kids in the middle of the night when they were little and uh-huh. thinking like, how many more days of this can I manage? Like how many more days, you know, like how many more hours of sleep is it? And then I'll won't have, you know, the kids will be able to sleep through the night or whatever. And then I started thinking, well, how many more, you know, like, I only have so many days when my kids want me to like just hang out with me in the middle of the night and just like right. go to sleep on me. And then like, it's like, Oh, yeah. okay. Like, got it. Like, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's like this shuttle <laughs> shift. Yeah. It's pretty um, incredible. Yeah, yeah. When you just like, just reframe things, it, it can be so, you know, orienting and so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think people need to uh, not be too hard on themselves right now. Uh, right. I think that you have to be kind to yourself um, being like, I, I, that's like an area of, of strength for me is not beating myself up about stuff right now. Uh, you know, like, and you know, to my detriment sometimes is that I go too easy on myself, but I, you know, it's, I'm drawing on that now, you know, it's like, this is, this is just all fucked up and we just have to like, you know, just be kind to ourselves uh, while it's all happening. Yeah. I definitely had to do some self, talk some self-compassion because there were moments in time where I was trying to work um, and trying to um, take care of the boys and manage their stuff. And it just wasn't, it couldn't happen all at once. And um, I had to kind of talk my, talk to myself and say, it's okay that I'm not going to be as productive as I might be when I'm in the office. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's okay um, so, you know, I'm going to let some of that guilt go. And again, another kind of reframing just to kind of being, being kind to myself and kind of really, um, not holding myself to any sort of, you know, high bar or standard Mm. that is unrealistic, um, under, under these circumstances. Um, so that, that's been really useful. Um, you've been doing any manual labor? Has that helped get, um, get any stress out? Yeah, we so um, we did uh, the two things were um, like moving a bunch of stuff around in the house, like moving all the dressers to different rooms. 
uh, which will make sense. But yeah, um, uh, we had to create like we we moved our little kid in with her sisters, and so that freed up the the room. So then we could build some like kind of cheap IKEA desks in uh-huh. here. So that because the desk I was using at home I didn't fit in. It was like this little desk, <laughs> <laughs> and so. Uh, now I fit in the desk. Um, and then, uh, and like, there's just like all this like stuff that accumulates like in the uh-huh. side yard, in the backyard, like, and so I like spent the day, like I was given the task to like get it all out. And I was like, this is the best task. So I just like put on protective shoes, you know, and I just like, like for, so I don't drop anything on my feet and I just loaded out just tons of stuff and it was great. Nice. It was great. And it's just like, oh, this yard is like, even though none of the junk I could, you couldn't see it before, but it feels like it's been. This lighter. feels good. Yeah. 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 shout outs or what we oftentimes call things um one uh our last guest adnan uh khan has been uh, just a real shining light in this in this pandemic um i'm grateful that we were able to interview him and talk to him and then he was cool enough to host me on his uh, uh facebook live show that he does every day where he talks about uh various issues related to um, the incarcerated people in this country. Um, and then Adnan has been really active on social media with really poignant and thoughtful uh, Twitter posts and, and Instagram stuff. But then he's also been um, on Al Jazeera. He's, he was on CBS Sunday morning. He's become this real powerful uh, figure um, in this crisis, speaking up on behalf of the people that can't speak for themselves in, in our state prisons. And so I'm just really proud of him and um, really been taking a lot of inspiration from Adan. And then also from our people at Debug, uh, Raj and Sharice and everyone else at Debug that are um, just going to work right now in terms of uh, on various fronts, um, both locally and nationally. Um, telling the stories of the people that are locked up on the inside through storytelling means, like uh, having people from the jail recording them and sharing what's going on in our in our county jails. Um, I saw today that they they had a protest at the San Mateo County Jail, uh, protesting conditions of confinement there and ICE uh, people being held by ICE at the jail, um, and then all the other things that they're doing to to ensure the um, health and legitimacy of, of our people and also of our court system. So I'm just wanted to, you know, I'm thinking of them and really grateful to, to know them and be partnered with them in, in, in this cause. Those two, right? Like those two groups there, mm-hmm. you know, debug is this participatory defense organization. We did talk about it in an episode called whose courts with Raj and Therese. 
and they are working to kind of get the model around with a whole team of folks to empower people who are facing uh, criminal charges, empower their family members uh, so that the community can have some say. And it's um, really important what all of those folks are doing right now. It's like especially urgent. Like we need what they're doing now. Um, we need everything that, you know, more, you know, more everything, more advocacy, more organizing, uh, more uh, ad, uh, activism and uh, kind of public outreach. Uh, so 100%. So I, I don't have anything other. I don't have anything. It's all good. I, I feel, yeah, um, it's all good. I feel like it's late. It's uh, past 11. So we've been talking for a while. Late nights. These, this, is the, good, this is the the late. We're gonna get, we need to set up call in cap, uh, capability, and then people can call in live, and we can. Oh, uh, that'd be dope. <laughs> all right, ask. Awesome. Tell us if you want that, and we'll figure it out. Um, but I was gonna say, self. <laughs> one of the things that, I mean, I think we both shared is that part of the self care is having a com- conversations like these, where we can just talk, catch up, trade, be you know, open about what we're going through. It's uh, it's really important. So I appreciate yeah. you, man. Yeah, you too, man. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, listening to Aider and a Better, and we will talk to you next time.